that he speaks. And, and we know the reason why. Andy again explained this last time, that the book of James was written to Christians who were struggling. And they were struggling primarily in the fact that they were confessing to believe something that wasn't really coming out in their practice. They praised God, they, they blessed God, but, but in their actions there was something that was missing. And so James calls them boldly to tell them to come back into line, to remember what Jesus has taught, to remember how we are called to live as believers. And tonight we have a relatively short passage in chapter 3, and I think it's a very crucial topic for us. In fact, James himself would say about the topic tonight that if you could get this right, if you could master the use of your tongue and your speech, then you'd actually be perfect. Everything else in your life would be easy if you could control your speech. And so we need to pay attention to this. And I think in a passage such as this, it's going to lay on our hearts in many different ways. It's such a broad topic. We're all going to have different areas of struggle and weakness. And so we honestly need to open our hearts and examine ourselves before God. We need to be willing to do that. And so why don't we prepare our hearts now before God as we pray. Heavenly Father, we, we desire to sit under your word now, to allow it to be the thing that trans, transforms us and shapes us. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are not the ones who determine our direction or our actions. Lord, we desire that you would do this through your word. And so, Lord, help us. Help us now by your spirit to, to confess, Lord, where we have fallen short, uh, to seek your wisdom and counsel for how we can change and depend on your Holy Spirit for the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's get straight into it and read through this passage, starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. Here's what James says to us. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know, we all know that our words have a deep impact on us, particularly as younger children. I know that I had a very difficult time growing up in this area of speech. 
Not so much with my speech, although that was a problem, but I don't really want to talk about that. No, it was more with how my parents spoke to me, or I should say, how one of my parents spoke to me. He's sitting in this room tonight, and so I really want to call him out. For all who know my dad, it's obvious that he has a problem with his speech. And that problem is the frequency that terrible dad jokes leave his mouth. But you see, the problem was that, as a young child, I didn't know he was joking. And so what he would do, and, and dad, part of dad, my dad's unique gift is that it doesn't matter if anyone laughs at his jokes. He just tells them purely for his own enjoyment. But the problem as a young children is, you look to your dad to receive important information about life. And so he would tell me things, not revealing that he was actually joking, and I believe these things as fact. Later in life, as I grew up, I'd tell things to people, even to him himself, and he'd be like, where on earth did you get this from? Who told you this? It's not true. And I said, you did. You told me. And it wasn't until I saw him doing this on Daniel when I was older that I realized what was going on. He told a joke to Daniel. Daniel said, really? And Dad chuckled to himself and never revealed the truth. And I said, no, enough's enough. I told Daniel what was going on, and I broke the chain of, of this terrible thing that was happening. So anything that I ever say wrong can really be linked back to my dad. That frees me up now a little bit. But anyways, this topic of speech is a big one. And, and as I said, it, it affects us greatly. It's something that we learn throughout life. We start out quite naive, like I was. We believe the words that are spoken to us. But then as we grow up, we become more shrewd to the type of words we hear. And also, we learn more about our speech. We learn about how our words can actually really hurt someone. Our words can be very powerful. And I know everyone in this room has had many moments in their life where they wish that they hadn't said what they had said. We all have those experiences. We can all relate to this. And so this passage isn't complicated, but it's a weighty passage if we will let it speak into what goes on in our lives. And so right from the start here, I want to tell you where we are going. We won't speak for too long, but I have three important things to point out from this passage about our tongue. And then we're going to see something, a really logical action point that flows from each of these things. So here's the three things we're going to see. Number one, our tongue is powerful. Number two, our tongue, tongues, are yeah, our tongues are destructive. And number three, our tongues can reveal our hearts. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. He, he, he begins in a pretty simple and straightforward way. He says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So James gets straight to the point. There was an issue, a big issue in this church with speech. This is not the only passage that speaks about it. There's a number of other places throughout this letter where James talks about speech. He talks about those who were quick to speak, who were often putting their foot in it. He speaks about those who were speaking evilly of one another. He speaks about those in another place in this book who were, who were um, putting oaths on themselves, basically casting curse, curses upon themselves unless they got their goals, unless they achieved what they should achieve. There are all these sorts of problems with speech in the churches that James was writing to. And along with this, it seemed that there was an issue of those who wanted to teach. Many people wanting to expound their wisdom to those who are around them. But James gives a fairly blunt warning here. He says, not many of you should become teachers. Why? Well, he gives one reason. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
So what does it mean? Well, I think he's talking about the reality of what happens when we speak, particularly when we teach, when we stand before people and say things, what's going to happen? People are going to judge us more strictly. And this passage might also be talking about God. It doesn't say, I actually think it's both. Both people and God will judge us more strictly because there is a great responsibility behind our words. And we, of course, do this all the time. Whenever we hear people speak, we should call them to account. We should hold them to what they say. We should scrutinize very carefully what they are teaching. That's what we are called to do. And James is pointing out that truth. And we only have to look at, at some of the trouble that Israel Falau has got himself into. Whether he is right or wrong or whether he said it the right way or said it the wrong way, the point is he was judged heavily and scrutinized heavily because he's trying to teach the world something. He was judged critically. And so this is what happens when we teach. So, so James firstly says you shouldn't teach because you'll be judged more strictly. And then he builds upon this argument. You'll see in verse 2, what does he say? For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Now, I actually really love that this verse is in the Bible. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it actually speaks into the reality of being human. Who can't say amen to, for we all stumble in many ways? We all make mistakes. We all fall down. And then he says... Something interesting. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or person, able also to bridle his whole body. If we could control our speech, we could control everything else. Now, I don't think James says this because that there is some person out there who is perfect, who has perfectly been able to control their speech and become this perfect person. Rather, he is saying this to emphasize how difficult it is as people to control what we say. How difficult it is not to say the wrong thing. The biggest struggle for us as humans is to say what is right, to say what is good. And so you see James' logic here. He's saying not many of you should be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly by God and people and, and more than that, you make many mistakes, and you particularly make mistakes with your speech, and so it's going to happen on even a grander scale before people. So make sure that you're called there by God. Make sure that you're called to that position. But in typical James style, to really bring down his point, he keeps going, and he uses two illustrations to build upon his argument once again. Look at verses 3 and 5. He uses two illustrations. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So these illustrations are piling on top of what he has already said. Now, just to make it really clear, because... I don't know how you go with knowing things about horses and ships. I put some photos up here to make it really obvious what James is talking about. So he talks about bits in the mouths of horses. For those who don't know, that little circle thing loops around the mouth, joins on the other side, you pull on the reins, horse goes one way or the other way. That's basically how it works. What's James's point? Something very small controlling something very big. Straightforward. Okay, so the next one. 
he talks about ships. Now, this is not an exact replica of a ship that would be around in the first century, as you can probably tell. But similar theory. The rudder is that small little tiny thing on the left-hand side there down the bottom. It controls the ship. It turns it one way or the other. What is James' point? Something very small controlling something very big. And then, just to make sure you really get the idea, James tells you what these illustrations are about in verse 5. He says, So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So in the same way that uh, a bit can control a horse and a small rudder can control a very big ship, it's the same thing with our tongues. They have a tremendous amount of influence over our lives. They have a tremendous amount of influence over what we do, but also they have a tremendous amount of power over those who we speak to. Our tongues have great power and great influence. So I hope you can see James's logic here. If you work your way backwards, he, he's saying that the tongue is powerful. It's able to control much. And we make many mistakes with our tongue keeping this in mind. And more than that, God's going to judge us more strictly, so not many of you should be teachers. You can see how he's really trying to, to, to build this to the people. Our tongues are powerful, but we are weak, so don't be too hasty to speak before others. Don't be too hasty to show off your insight to the world. And I think if we stop and ask ourselves some questions just initially from this, Do you actually realize, have you ever stopped to realize the power of your own tongue? Not only to affect your life in the way that you speak to yourself, in the way that you think, but the way that you talk to others. Our tongues are incredibly powerful, and I think this is the way God designed it. If you you know, way back in the garden, God created everything through what? Through the power of his word. He created us in his image through the power of his word. And so I think we too have this power in the sense that we have, have a choice either to bring life with our words or also to create destruction. Our tongues are powerful. But I think we also need to consider what James is saying about teaching. Because yes, James is talking specifically about the role of teaching within the church. But I think this can also be applied more generally because in James' day, teaching was really something only for the elite, something that the rabbis were trained to do, and and not many people would have the opportunity to speak into others' lives. But as Christians today, I actually think we're in a time where we have a tremendous responsibility on us as individuals. More than ever, each of us as individuals have a platform to speak, whether it be through social media whether it just be in our culture that is very individualistic, who places just as much value on one person's truth to another person's truth. We have a tremendous responsibility in this. And so I think this verse partly applies to us all when we talk to others about God, when we tell others about who Jesus is. And the question comes, do we take this calling seriously? Do we realize the power behind our words? Do we take seriously the responsibility to speak about God truthfully as according to his word? Or are we quick to speak, flippant in our words, and misrepresenting God? This is why James is so hesitant towards this role of teaching. 
And so that's point one. Our, our words are powerful, and we need to recognize that they are powerful. More powerful, I think, than we actually understand. And we're going to see that as we go through this passage. But James continues on this thought, and, and in particular, he continues down this track of our weakness. He really wants us to see that not only are our tongues powerful, but they are also destructive. Let's read through from verse 5 again and listen to the severity, almost the danger in James's words as he speaks. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wowzers. Not really easy light reading, is it? But I think we would do well to hear what James is saying. I think he's giving us an honest report on the reality of our tongues and how destructive they can be. And and when I first read this, I don't know about you, but but when I first read this, I was kind of skeptical of, are our tongues really that bad? Set on fire by hell. That's pretty, pretty extreme. But as God's weighed this passage upon my heart this week, I realize it is that bad. Most of the terrible things that happen in this world begin with our words. They begin with lies. If we think back to the garden again, what, was, what happened to Adam and Eve? God creates them by the power of his word, perfect. What happens? They're lied to. The power of words deceives them. The evil one comes and speaks lies to them, makes them question God. Is God really who he says he is? Is he really for your good? I think he's holding something back. Our words, (laughs) that's why the words can be so destructive. But the same thing happens to us. You know, usually our deepest and darkest battles in our hearts began with lies. Whether these lies were spoken to us by people or the evil one, they begin with words to the extent that our whole lives can be driven by something and we don't even know why we're doing it. But it began with words, painful words, lies that have been planted within us. And I want to show you something. I want you to listen to something. It's actually a short testimony from a guy named David Meese. You won't know him if you're under 40, but he was a singer back in the day, a Christian singer. And this is a little excerpt from his testimony, and I hope it'll actually weigh upon us part of the the difficulty and the, the negativity and the hardship that can come from words. I think it's powerful, and hopefully it will be something that can uh, really get us thinking about this. It's a long story, and this is just a little bit. I would encourage you to listen to it all. It is really powerful. And and just a warning, some of the content can be quite full-on, but it's also, he says it in a way that, that is good. So listen up to what he has to say. 
See, I, I, my dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict, and he was uh, a very violent man. He's what I called a leveler. He could level everybody with a few short sentences. I mean, this guy could just, with his words, just massacre everybody. And he seemed to delight in doing it. You know the kind. They can just mow you down. I mean, they can just cut right through it, mow you. They know the button to push. My dad tried to kill my mom on numerous occasions, literally. In fact, three times right in front of my brother and sister and I. He said, I'm going to kill your mother. And he tried right there. My mom was quick. Hard to catch. We had signals where every time my dad would get in one of those rages where he was trying to kill people, she'd, she'd give us a signal and we'd run to the car, jump in the back seat. My mom would get in the car and we'd just drive around like this. Sometimes my dad would get in his car and chase us in this small East Texas town, man. She had little hiding places, you know. She had little, little places in the woods, places you supposedly couldn't drive, but my, her car fit perfectly in there. And sometimes we'd sit there all night. The morning would come, we'd be time for school, and my mom didn't want to take us home because... She didn't know if he might still be there and crazed and everything, so she'd take us to school like we were. And then teachers asked us why we didn't have our books. I mean, you, you, what are you going to say? Well, my dad was trying to kill us, so we decided not to go by to pick up geometry texts. You know, it seemed logical. And we'd be wearing the same clothes we'd been wearing, you know, little grunge clothes, you know, and get to school. Spent a lot of time in detention hall, my brother and sister and I because we didn't take our books or because we were late or because of fall asleep in class. But they didn't know. That's why it's so important for us to really seek to understand each other. Because many times people do things that seem just so frustrating to us. But if we really knew what was really going on in their life, we would have a different approach. One night my dad drove his car through my bedroom wall. True story, man. My brother and I were nearly asleep. We were in half asleep. It was like 9.30 on a Tuesday night. It was a school night. I was, about, I was about 10 years old. I was nearly asleep when suddenly there was like this explosion. I remember sitting up in bed and looking, and there was a Chevrolet at the foot of my bed. And I remember thinking to myself, now there's something you don't see every day. And I turned to my brother and I said, look, we got a car in the room, man. And all he could say was, can we sell it? And it was my dad. He was trying to drive into the garage, and he missed Hiring a kite, man. Hiring a kite. He got out of the car, man. And he came around and he, he came into our room, you know, and he had this gun. I don't know where he got it. My mom never allowed guns in the house for obvious reasons. But he had gotten a hold of this gun, took the clip out, showed us it was loaded, put the clip back in, and proceeds to announce to my brother and I that on this night, he's killing everybody, not just my mom. And he's starting with us. And he comes over and he grabs, I'm not kidding you, he comes over, grabs me around the neck, yanks me over to him, gets, gets me like this, gets this gun, sticks it right between my eyes, and says to me with the most obnoxious sneer you can imagine, and says, you're worthless. I remember that as like as yesterday. Because all the times that my dad was trying to kill us, all the times that we were running and hiding, all the times that we were late for school, through all of that, I could deal with it. But when my father looked down at me, it wasn't the gun. It wasn't the fear of bullets. It was the words, you're worthless. It's actually a really powerful story, but these words haunt him for most of his life. 
you're worthless. Until eventually God, through his grace, through an understanding of the cross, helps him to be able to forgive his father. And he's able to share about it. And it's an incredible story, but it's also a reminder about the power of our words. They can be so destructive. And this is ultimately why we need to be so careful, particularly as those who call ourselves Christians in how we speak to one another. Because just as he mentioned, we never really fully understand the battle that each one of us is facing. And I, and I, and I know it's easy. It's easy just to say it's just, we're just joking. We just said something in fun. But if you are feeding into a lie that has been in that person since they were young, you're literally sowing into their destruction. And it's terrible. And so we need to be careful in our speech. This is why James is so full on here. Because these words come from the very lie that was beginning all the way back in the garden. It begins with the evil one himself. And when we speak words like that to people, or when we're careless with our words, we can be sowing into these seeds. And so be careful in your jokes. Be careful in your speech. Our words can be so destructive. And James kind of continues down this track and he highlights a particular destructive behavior that was prevalent in this church. In verse 9, he, he continues with his speech. It is restless. The tongue is restless, full of deadly poison. And then verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now I think this verse particularly relates to what you were just saying. The issues going on with these Christians, and I think a lot of us, is it's very easy at times to bless God, to praise God, and yet to turn around and speak words of hatred to other people, to speak bad words to other people. We all have this tendency at times. But do you see what James does here with this verse? It actually should be something that causes us to to really be extra careful with our words because he says, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. He's basically saying it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense that you would bless God and then, and then curse God's creation. He's saying in essence that if you think that you can bless God with your words and then curse others, that actually all you're doing is cursing God. Because... He created people. He, he, every single person in this world bears his image. So when you curse them, you're cursing him. It's a hypocrisy and it, and it can't exist. And, and he's telling these Christians that this cannot be the way that it is. And so some questions to ask ourselves, do we realize that Everyone bears God's image. Do we realize the hypocrisy in our words at times? And I would ask you, what, what areas in your speech do you see this hypocrisy? What areas do you, might you need to change? Are, are there people that you actually need to seek forgiveness from, to apologize to? Parents to children, whether it's friends or whether it's 
a stranger who you know you spoke badly to. They bear God's image, and this must not be for us who call ourselves believers. We should be speaking words of life to one another. That is our call. And so that's our our second point. Our tongues are, are powerful, but our tongues are also destructive. And now lastly, out of this point about the destructiveness of our tongues and the hypocrisy of our tongues, we come to our final point. I think James kind of brings it out of the illustrations. Again, he uses several illustrations to make it really clear that you know what he's talking about. Verse 10, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So three illustrations to finish with. Two that are based as a question, and one that is just a statement. And again, we'll go through them. It's quite simple. They're not complicated. He starts, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The obvious answer, no. It does one or the other. Can a fig tree bear olives or, or a grapevine produce figs or an apple tree produce oranges? It doesn't say that one, but I think it's good. No, it can't. It, it produces the kind that it is. And then finally, the last one, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You see, the point of these illustrations is quite clear. These things can't do what is opposite to their nature. And so James is saying that if we as believers are at one time proclaiming to follow Christ and yet cursing those around us, speaking poorly of people made in God's image, then this should never be, and it actually reveals something about us. It reveals that there is a problem. It reveals something in our hearts that is wrong. And that leads us to our last point. Our tongues reveal our hearts. You see, so easy, it's, it's so easy just to focus on the effect that our words have on other people, but really our words tell us more about who we are. They tell us more about what's going on in our hearts. Our words reveal our own jealousy, our own bitterness, our own struggles. They actually reveal sometimes the hurt that's going on in our own hearts, the lies that have been sold to us. Our tongues reveal, and so pay attention to what you're saying. If we were to put your words up on the screen behind me, what would they reveal? Jesus famously said these words in Matthew, For out of the abundance of the heart, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our speech shows us our hearts. And so I would ask you, what, what is your speech revealing about you? What are some of the things that might be going on in your own heart? Some of the lies you might have believed, some of the bitterness you have towards a particular type of person or people. We need to repent of this. We need to turn away from this. We need to seek help in these things. We need to ask God to help us to speak the way we should. 
Our tongues reveal our hearts. I would challenge you to consider your speech, to consider how you're speaking and what it might say about you. Our hearts are revealed in our speech. And so these are some of the things that, that come from this passage. We've seen our tongues are powerful, they're, they're destructive, and, and they can also reveal. But, but like I said at the beginning, there's probably a lot of different areas where we would think about in our own individual lives. Some of us would be struggling in one particular area while others are struggling in something else. But there's a lot of things here. But I guess one of the challenges that we are left with is is how do we actually go about applying these things? Because yes, I think the truth is that we need to change our outward actions. There are some things we need to do, whether that's seeking forgiveness, whether that's saying sorry, whether that's just changing the way that we speak. We need to actually do these things, but we also need to go deeper than that. We can't just change the outward actions. We need to change the heart And so what does that look like? Especially when this passage itself has said that only a perfect man would not stumble in what he says. So what hope does that give us as we look at this passage? What hope does that give us when we want to make the changes that we want to make? When only a perfect man could do this, a perfect person could do this. Well, the reality is we need to look to the perfect one, the only one who has actually done this, the only perfect one who was perfectly able to bridle his tongue and his whole body, who used his speech in the exact way that God always intended to be used. And and there's no greater example than this when Jesus himself is hanging on the cross. I was struck by this over the Easter weekend, that Jesus, after being beaten, mocked, spat upon, hung on the cross, while people in front of him literally are bidding over his clothing, what does he do? There would be no greater time than to say, and rightly so, that judgment is coming upon you. The judgment will come. But what does he say? In Luke 23, 24, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Is there any more powerful of an example than that? We must look to Jesus as our example in our speech. We must look to situations like this to deal with our own conflict, to deal with when people hurt us, when when they wrong us, that we don't speak against them, but rather we forgive the same way Jesus Forgave. We must look to Jesus as our example. But secondly, we actually, in order to change our speech, we need to hear the Father's words to us. This goes back to what we said earlier, that there are lies in our hearts that exist. Half the reason we speak things to one another, bad things to one another, is because they come out of lies that have been spoken to us. The only way that Jesus can forgive people on that cross is because he is secure in his relationship with God. He knows who he is. And the only way we will change our words is when we know who we are in Christ. When we understand that when Jesus says, forgive them for they do not know what they do, that he is actually speaking to us that our sins put him there on that cross. And when we understand that, it will change our words. 
When we understand that, that he says that we are righteous in Christ and adopted in Christ and loved in Christ, when we read those words in his scripture and let them sink into our, our hearts, they combat the lies. And then we're able actually to speak truth to one another, speak life to one another. The more we hear God's words, the more our speech will be transformed. That's why we need to get in our Bibles, to see who we are in Christ. And finally, we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit within us. God has not left us alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit within each one of us to give us the power to apply these things. We need to pray and be on our knees from a passage like this that's so intense, that, that brings up a lot of things in our life, we need to pray that God's Holy Spirit will give us the power to transform us. We need to look to Jesus as our example. We need to hear God's words to us as his people, and we need the Holy Spirit's power to transform us. Let us use our speech in a redeemed way for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that this is an area of our life that we, we find really difficult. Uh, it's so easy in ourselves to, to think that we, are, we can justify ourselves in our words. Um, it's so easy to become prideful in this area, to think that we, we know when we're crossing the boundary and we know when we're not. But Lord, we confess that often we do say the wrong thing. Often we don't consider truly the other person who's made in your, God, your image. We often don't think about the battles that they may be facing and the difficulties in their own hearts, the lies that they are living by. Lord, please forgive us. But please also help us by your Spirit. As we look to Jesus, we hear your words. We pray that you'll transform us, transform our speech. Help us to know from tonight what are the areas that we need to change. Let us, let us put into action things that we need to, to put into action, Lord. Help us to forgive and to ask for forgiveness of those we need to. Let us make those changes, but all the while, let us depend upon your strength to do it. And Lord, we ask that you do do this because we want to glorify your name and we want to make much of you and be your redeemed people and to display to this world what true speech looks like true and good speech. Lord, we ask for your help in this. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.